Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Amen. Today, on this seventh Sunday after Epiphany, something interesting happens with our lectionary. Our missal, the service book with all the content necessary for celebrating Mass through the whole year, only provides for six Sundays after Epiphany, uh, though you may not use all of them depending on when Easter falls in any particular year. But it's possible, uh, obviously, on years when Easter falls absurdly late, like this year, to have more than six Sundays. So what happens then is we dip into the last Sundays after the Feast of Trinity, uh, like leading up to Advent later on in the year, that will end up being unused this year and borrow their collect and readings, both for the Mass and for the office, uh, morning and evening prayer. What's interesting about this arrangement is that today we end up with readings that normally would have their own sung propers to accompany them in a Mass that has its own sort of character and internal logic. But today, in this circumstance, we get these readings with the sung propers that we've been maintaining ever since the third Sunday of Epiphany. Propers that emphasize the epiphany character of God's universality and revelation of his power and authority and goodness to all of creation. The central theme of these scripture readings, however, as I pointed out when I preached on them back on the 23rd Sunday of Trinity last year, is that they emphasize two different ways, the way of God and the way of sin, or as the didache, the first century Christian catechism puts it, the way of life and the way of death. Quote, there are two ways, one of life and one of death, but a great difference between the two ways. St. Paul, in his epistle today, tells the Philippians, walk on the path that I walk, basically, because there are some who walk a different path whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Jesus, in the gospel today, draws a sharp dichotomy between earthly things and heavenly things by saying, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. So how does this very either or character of the readings in the scriptures today work with the universality, the all things character of the epiphany themes? That I think is truly a worthwhile question. In particular, Let's look at the tribute money that Jesus asks to see in the gospel story. The Pharisees and some others who had gathered to try to trick Jesus in his own words, bring him a coin after Jesus asked to see one uh, in one of the most famous object lessons ever given. He asked them, whose is the image and superscription? And they say, Caesar's. You can actually go online and find images of this exact coinage, the coinage issued under Caesar Augustus. You can see his little face on it and his little name on it, Augustus. It's really uh, fun to think that it, it's entirely possible, it's unlikely, hundreds of thousands of coins in, in circulation, but you can go online and look at pictures and you think, this may be the actual coin brought to Jesus on that day. I might be looking at that coin, the exact coin that Jesus and all the Pharisees were looking at. It's possible. Jesus says that because Caesar Augustus's face and name are on the coin, 
that the coin belongs to him. Give unto Caesar what belongs to him. But in what way does the coin really belong to Caesar? Did Caesar ever really own the very metal from which the coins were formed? Did he own the mines and the minerals in them? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord thy God's, and also the earth and all that therein is. Deuteronomy 10:14. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Psalm 24, 1. These are much more epiphany feeling. You know? So no, Caesar didn't really own the coin or the metal or the mines. In reality, he didn't even own his own body or soul. Caesar Augustus, like every man and woman that came before him and after him, didn't bring himself into existence. He didn't plan his own conception and birth. He couldn't have made one of his hairs white or black or added one cubit to his stature, as Jesus said. He owned, in essence, nothing. It's that old saying, uh, if it can be taken away from you, you don't really own it. So Caesar owned nothing, nothing except the way he chose to live. And all of creation, all of which is God's, we, along with Caesar, have only one thing that we can call ours, kind of. It's our way of living, our choices, our character, what we build in terms of either virtue or vices in ourselves. That's essentially, I think, what Jesus is saying today when he says the coin is Caesar's. The coin is part of a system that Caesar had joined himself to, an earthly system of power. And if that power system is you know, chugging along under its own steam and fuming and demanding things of you, what is that to you, Jesus asks. Give it its own things and let it chug along for as long as it can anyway. It'll run down or implode eventually. All earthly things and systems do. But as for you, you choose the way of God, the way of acknowledging that your own self, that your own, what you own, <laughs> is, is nothing. Essentially the way of the cross, of self-denial, in other words, and to get in return for choosing this way, real life, fulfillment, and an end in telos that isn't destruction, but is rather completion, the achievement of your entire created purpose, and in a way, then finally, having something that can't be taken away from you. A moment ago, I said that the only thing we could call our own was the way that we choose to live, kinda. The kinda is because even our choices are often somewhat hindered and influenced, sometimes to the degree that it's hard to tell if they're even our own. St. Paul famously complained that he still struggled with sin, calling himself the chief of sinners, and we imitate Paul's uh, sentiment before coming to communion. He said that, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So then it is no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. He's talking about his sinful body. I can will what is right, but I can't do it. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I go on doing. 
Now, if I do what I don't want, it's no longer I that do it, but sin which dwells in me, which is doing it. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God. In my inmost self, I delight in my law of God. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin, which dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what do we do? <laughs> the only thing we can do is to acknowledge our radical limitations, the fact that even our existence itself is completely contingent and out of our hands. But the mysteriously, we've been given some agency, some degree of the ability to do something of ourselves, though even that agency, that power that we have is through the power and support of God. But we are called with our own responsibility to use that agency the best we can under our circumstances and try with everything that we have to walk in the way of life, the way which looks to God and not to the things of the world with its lusts and passions and paltry powers because the two ends are very different. The way of God uh, is, is given to, Jesus given credit for preaching the truth and the way of God. In the story, the people coming to him, speaking out of the side of their mouth almost say, teacher, we know that you teach the true way of God. But listen to how the story ends, uh, the gospel passage cut off right before, but this is how the story ends. After Jesus gives that declaration, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's unto God, that which is God, St. Matthew continues, when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. So we have two ways, both in our epistle and in our gospel passage. The way of truth, which these men begrudgingly acknowledge that Jesus does show, and then their way, the way that they go off sadly, like in another story, the rich man going off his way, sadly, the way of Caesar, the way of the systems which eat themselves like the snake eating its own tail, that go nowhere, that end up wrecked and bankrupt. All the coinage in the world wouldn't have bought Caesar salvation. So, as we hear the words of our Lord this morning, let us also marvel, but instead of leaving him, let us follow him. And instead of going our own way, let's go his way, because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is who is Yahweh. That's his name. He is existence. He is all love and all fulfillment. So today, let us intentionally, with whatever agency we have, choose him afresh. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.